I'm on a little night walk here. You know, I was thinking about the nature of restriction. You know, it's been such a hot topic the last year and a half. When we are restricted from doing certain things. And we are told we must do other things. You know, so a lot of the conversation right now revolves around restriction. But, uh, you know, it's funny how we forget about other restrictions or we kind of take them for granted and forget that there's anything weird about them. And a good example of that is seatbelt laws, which I've spoken about on here before. Because a lot of younger people don't realize that there was ever anything controversial about that. They've just lived in a world where they know that you have to wear a seatbelt if you're in a vehicle. And they don't even know that that was a big conservative talking point in decades past. Conservatives opposed seatbelt laws. They didn't oppose seatbelts. They opposed seatbelt laws. And two or three years ago, I got a hold of a collection of my biological grandfather's writing. My mom was illegitimate, so she didn't know him. But she lived in the same town, and he worked in the he worked for the local newspaper as an editorialist, and he was a very opinionated libertarian. And so his writings are from decades ago, and we got a hold of this little collection of his writing. It's not a it's not a bound book. I'm trying to think of what this, the name of it is. It's like when the spine is that plastic thing, kind of like a notebook. But it's a collect, probably self-published. It's a collection of his writings. And a lot of them deal with liberty. And a lot of his writing was about seatbelt laws because that was controversial at the time. You know, requiring people to wear seatbelts. Which really is a my body, my choice idea. You know, you can argue that the VAC, because people use that same talking point about the VAC, which is like my body, my choice. And then people counter that by saying, yeah, but uh, it's not just your body because you're protecting other people from Coroni. So people kind of at least try to shoot that argument down by saying the VAC isn't actually about your body. Of course, people do that with abortion, too, and they're like, well, you're carrying another body with you. But I won't get into that here. Um, but, you know, seatbelt laws do seem like a much more obvious example of my body, my choice, because it's really your body that you're protecting by wearing a seatbelt. And somebody could make an argument where it's like, oh, if you don't wear your seatbelt, you, you could get launched through the windshield and land on somebody walking down the street. But realistically, wearing a seatbelt protects your health, in theory. But conservatives didn't like it in decades past, when that, before that law was passed. And I don't know what year that was. I don't know when seatbelt laws became mandated. But they were debated for a long time. And I don't, I'm realizing that people don't even know that. Because here, my grandfather was talking about it all the time. My biological grandfather was writing about it all the time during that period. And I knew that it was a controversial issue 
among conservatives because my dad didn't believe in seatbelt laws. And as a kid, I asked him because I grew up in an environment where like I just took it for granted that we have to wear seatbelts. I just, I, you know, you live in a world, you, you are socialized as a little kid in a world where you just, seatbelt, I have to wear a seatbelt. And you don't think about it. You know it's for safety, but you don't think about it. And when I would drive with my dad, he sometimes wouldn't wear a seatbelt. And I asked him about it and he was like, well, it's, you know, my choice. You know, I don't believe that anybody has the right to tell me what I have to do in my own car. And uh, it was interesting because I just, it was weird because I never knew anybody else who did that. I never knew anybody else growing up. Like I didn't know any friends' parents, my mom, my sister. You know, I really didn't know anybody else. The only people I knew who occasionally wouldn't wear their seatbelts were like other kids who just kind of wanted to be bad. But the idea of an adult doing it kind of on philosophical grounds was something I learned from my dad. And he had the same view on drinking. Whereas a kid, I remember being in the car with him and he just opened up a beer. You know, he would drink bottles of beer and he just cracked open a beer. He hadn't been drinking before that. And my entire life, I've never seen my dad drink more than two beers in a sitting. I've never seen him anywhere close to drunk in my entire life. And he's always believed in cracking open a beer if he wants one while he's driving. And he's not driving drunk. He's simply sipping a beer. And he's philosophically opposed to laws that tell him he can't do that. Because he's not drunk. He's being responsible. He's simply sipping a beer. And when I turned 18 or 19, I went and visited him. And we went for a drive on the island where he lives. And he cracked open a beer for himself and he gave me one. And he's not one of those guys who, you know, he's not the type of guy who would ever be like, son, you're now a man. You're, you're now a man, son. You're now a manson. He's not one of those kind of guys who would make a big performance out of it. But it did kind of feel like, oh, my dad must think I'm a, I'm a man now. <laughs> you know, because we're, we're driving along the road and we're both just sipping beers in his truck. And he's gotten pulled over for it. Some years back, a cop pulled him over. And my dad tried to, like, hide the beer and spilled it. <laughs> and so the cop smelled it and made him do the walk. He made him do a DUI test. And my dad passed because he wasn't drunk. And he got ticketed for an open container. But he doesn't feel that anybody else should be able to tell him not to do that because he's not doing anything wrong. He's not driving drunk. He's simply having a single beer while he drives. And it's funny too, because there are a lot of people who would probably hear that and be like, that's bad. Well, some people might have more than one beer. Some people, he doesn't. He's an individual who doesn't have more than a beer when he's driving, who doesn't drive drunk. So what other people do, you know, those people should be pulled over and given a DUI, right? 
It really has nothing to do with the single open beer that somebody is having. If somebody's driving and they have a single open beer, but they're drunk, well, they're drunk. The issue is that they're drunk, right? But uh, somebody might be like, and I'm, I'm very against drunk driving. But an open container is a different story. And uh, we just kind of accept that. We just kind of accept that, that, you know, even if you are, you know, because I mean, and too, it's, it's a sort of situation where let's go with the idea that you can catch a buzz off of one beer. Well, you could pound a beer and leave it at the bar and then get in your car and drive. And you're going to be equally, if not more drunk not that you're going to be drunk from one beer, but you're going to be equal, equally or more buzzed from that beer that you drank at the bar before driving than you would just opening a beer while you're driving and sipping it on your way home. So it's just funny how that works. With the seatbelt thing, I've seen it come up recently. I've heard and seen some VAC arguments where younger people respond and they're like, Next thing you know, you're going to tell me that, you know, because people who believe in the VAC mandate, I've seen them say, like, what, do you not believe in seatbelt laws either? And it just shows you they have no idea of the history of that. It shows you they, it's like, because conservatism is continually losing ground. And I don't even think of that as a political stance. That's really just a matter of liberty. It's a matter of personal liberty to not be forced to wear a seatbelt, but, you know, that's the thing, is conservatism tends to lose ground, and then people forget about that there was even a debate. Like, a lot of kids today, a lot of young people, aren't even aware of the fact that there was any controversy to seatbelts. And I've heard them say that in response to VAC arguments, where they're like, what, next thing you're going to tell me you don't believe in seatbelt laws? And it's like, well... Now that you mention it, now that you mention it, turns out there's a whole history there that you might not be aware of. Turns, turns out on both sides of my family, turns out my dad and my biological grandfather I never met had libertarian views and neither of them believed in seatbelt laws. I mean, nobody taught me that but it makes a lot of sense to me. Their stance makes a lot of sense to me. And as uh, Nick G, my friend, and I think sometimes listener on here, Nick G, he heard me talking about this on an episode a while back, and he pointed out that a big reason for seatbelt laws is insurance rates. But insurance companies are insane. I mean, he wasn't defending insurance companies, you know, like, this is not a guy who would ever defend insurance companies, but he was just pointing out to me that insurance companies and insurance rates have played a significant role in the seatbelt conversation, too, which makes sense. But, uh, you know, it's just funny to me, though, that younger people today, just they kind of take for granted that everybody's just fallen in line with seatbelt laws and they can't really imagine a world 
where some people gave significant pushback on that with regards to themselves, because that is a matter of you making a choice about your own safety in your own vehicle. You know, I think it's a different story if you're driving your car and passengers of yours don't want to wear theirs. I can understand if, if it's your car telling somebody, you have to wear a seatbelt in my car. You own the car and you're driving. Your passengers are to some degree your responsibility. You know, it's kind of like telling somebody they have to take their shoes off if they go to your house. Some people don't like that. You know, some people would be like, oh, what an asshole. What an asshole. He's telling me to take my shoes off. My shoes are clean. But you're going over to somebody else's house. They don't want you to wear shoes. You're supposed to accommodate that. And of course, seatbelts, wearing your seatbelt in somebody else's car isn't just keeping your shoes on or off because of somebody's, you know, the way somebody maintains their household. That's involves your safety, so there's a little more to that. But it's not entirely different in the sense that it's like you're on somebody else's property where they're the captain of the ship. But with the idea of restrictions, you know, I think people have simply forgotten that many of the restrictions that we just live with, you know, that we just, we just swim in this water, where if you grew, if you were born after a certain year, you would never think that there was ever any controversy about seatbelt laws requiring that and ticketing people for it. The fact that you can get fined money, you can get in trouble, you can get pulled over for something that impacts your own safety and health, and only your own safety and health. And your insurance company shouldn't really know either way. You know, your insurance company is really none of their business whether or not you do that actively. The only reason they're gonna know is if you get in an accident and fly through the windshield. But, uh, you know, another restriction I just, what actually got me thinking about this whole idea was just a minute ago, I was walking through a park and it was about 9.30 at night. I, I just happened to pass through this park. It's along the water, just a little park what we call a tiny little park. Just a bunch of grass, some trees, a beach. It's right on the water. You can see the waterfront of downtown Olympia. It's a really nice little park to go to after dark because you see downtown all lit up and it's in a spot where nobody goes at night in just a little residential neighborhood. And I go there at night. If I'm on a long walk, I'll go there at night to go to the bathroom because... Guess what? Another restriction is that I'm not supposed to go to the bathroom anywhere and everywhere. And I'm pee shy on top of that. I'm a pee shy, I'm a pee shy guy. So I don't like to go just anywhere. Even if I were allowed to just, right now, just piss on this high school fence, I wouldn't do it because I know somebody could potentially see me. But I'll go to this park, like if I'm on a long walk, I'll just cut into it, you know. But they, it's, it's closed. You know, like every park around here, it's a kind of a from dusk till dawn hour. It's like a store. Oh, it's a park. It's it's nature. 
or we have a little park. It's on the water and there's there's grass and trees and a couple benches. But it might as well be a store because it closes. You know, that park is actually open for fewer hours than the nearby grocery store. So that's kind of funny to me. That there was all this debate during lockdown about like, oh, they're closing everything down. You can't go anywhere. You're not even supposed to go to a little patch of nature because they've put signs there and a gate. You can't park there at night. They lock the gate. You're not supposed to be there at all. I mean, obviously you can walk into it after hours, but uh, you're not supposed to be there because we've designated this a park and it has hours. It's true for more wooded areas too. You know, there's a lot of wooded trails in this area. Guess what? They have the same store hours as this park. You know, you're not supposed to be there. After dark, you are not supposed to be there. And I don't know if you get fined. I don't know if anybody's actually monitoring it. I doubt it. I doubt that there's a police officer or anybody who's gonna go around and, and ticket you or even kick you out. But there's probably a law, you know, there's, prob there's probably something built into the law where something happens. At the very least, they can tell you to leave, which is kind of incredible. Especially when you think about the fact that if you go there like 10 minutes after it officially closes, you're not supposed to be there anymore. But yet it's just nature. But we call it a park. We call it a park. And because we call it a park and the municipality manages it, we can restrict you from it. And like seatbelt laws now, like we just accept that reality. We accept the fact that, oh, I'm not supposed to be here right now. And even though I don't care, like going to this park just a minute ago, like I'm at this little park at 930 at night. I don't feel like a baddest I don't feel like a baddest, a badass going there. But yet there's a small part of me that's self-conscious. There's a small part of me when I go into a park at night after it's closed, where I'm like, ooh, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm aware of the fact that I'm not supposed to be there. It's kind of like if you have a room in your house and you don't allow your dog there. When your dog goes in there with you one day, one sec here, loud cars. If you go in, if, if your dog goes with you into a room in your house where he's not normally allowed, he knows it. He kind of acts like he's doing something he's not supposed to be doing. Even though you're there with him and he's in there and he's not doing anything wrong, he's conscious of it. And that's kind of how I feel when I go to a park at night where I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm technically breaking a law. And you know what? Like, even if the cops don't care, even if the cop isn't going to drive by the park and shine a flashlight looking for people to ticket or kick out, the simple fact that I feel like I'm doing something wrong is incredible. And the idea is that, oh, well, the reason they close the park at night is so bad people don't go there. Well, let me tell you, bad people will go to parks at any time they want to, <laughs> you know? Bad people will go there if they want to. 
They don't care if it's closed or not. And, uh, it's kind of funny that even though I'm such a baddest, there's a part of me that feels like I'm doing something wrong. And this park being in a residential area, you know, if somebody who lives across the street from the park sees me there, they're probably going to think like, oh, that guy, what's he doing there? Even though all day, every day, there are people there in the daylight, the fact that I'm at the park, that I'm walking on the grass, that I'm looking at the water, the fact that I'm doing it after hours could very well make somebody, you know, raise a suspicious eye at me. You know, there's some people who might even call the cops. You never know. There's people like that. Hall monitors. And so anytime there's a restriction, that brings something out of people. Because there were kids in school who would rat you out for stupid shit. When I was in elementary school, this kid told me about pig Latin. And I said, Ukfe to a girl. Like, not in a graphic way. Not about her. I just, I, I learned this new little trick. And then a little while later, my teacher came and tapped me on the shoulder and she said, like, I heard, I heard that you've been uh, <laughs> swearing in pig Latin. And I was like, I, I, he I heard about it today. And she was like, yeah, I'm just letting you know. She was cool. She was like, I'm just letting you know not to do that. And I said, okay. You know, so people will just rat you out. You know, it's, there were kids who used to rat you out for running in the halls. You weren't allowed to run in the halls at my elementary school. And there were kids who would rat you out for it. You know, anytime a restriction is imposed, there's a certain type of person that feels like they can and should enforce it. And we've seen that happen over the last year and a half, where there's people who have... They film people in public. Like if somebody goes into a store without a mask, somebody gets out their phone and live streams it. They tell on people. You had stories about people telling on neighbors for having parties during lockdown. You know, so anytime a restriction is imposed, it's not just that a restriction has been imposed. It's that a certain amount of people take it upon themselves to tell on you. And they think it's for the greater good, and maybe maybe it is sometimes. If there's a suspicious guy in a park, maybe sometimes you err on the side of caution. I don't know. But there's still a certain sort of person who will do that anyway. Who now that there is a restriction, they think it's their duty. Or they just enjoy the power. It's a way of inflicting something on somebody else. That's big too. But we've just accepted that parks have hours. If there's a wooded trail and it's after dark, the sign says it closes at dusk, you're not supposed to be there. And you're aware of that fact. And it's, it's not like people are wrong for being suspicious of somebody for going down there at night. You know, I live right next to a trail, and if somebody goes down there, it bothers me a little bit. I don't call the cops, but I kind of keep an eye on them. 
I kind of watch to make sure they're not hanging around. I don't like it. But how much of that is just some of this stuff that I'm talking about being ingrained in me? Like, because we have the idea that normal people, law-abiding people, only go to parks when they're open during the day, we tend to see anybody who goes to them at night as a potential criminal. Because they're already breaking that rule. But really, like, if you've ever been in the woods at night, which I don't like to do, I get very paranoid. Especially around here, there's a lot of camps... There's a lot of people I don't want to run into in the woods around here. But really, that's a matter of personal safety. Like, because I know I'm not up to anything. So the reason I don't do it is just because, one, you can't see. And two, you don't know who you're going to run into or what you're going to run into. But really, there's kind of an absurdity to it. That we are restricted from going into nature. Basically, after store hours. And we live that way. We live in a world where that's normal to us. And so these things become normal. In the same way, it's become very normal to see people in masks. Like, as I've said before, like, we only had, we've only had one month where masks aren't required or expected in public places, in stores. There's been one month. It was July of 2021. That month that I kept seeing girls like frolicking out in public wearing practically nothing. But we've had one month where they dropped mask mandates since, I don't know, whenever they imposed them. March, April 2020. I don't know when the law, when the mandates went into effect in this state. But the only time you've been expected or you've been allowed to go in without them has been July 2021. By the end of the month... They were saying Delta was here and all this stuff, so you had to wear masks again. And now we've reached a point where we've been doing it for so long that I instinctively do it. You know, I just instinctively reach for my mask when I go into a place. And you don't really think about it. Like, I don't even think about the fact that I don't see people's faces anymore. I don't even think about the fact that reality was substantially different from this. Because let me tell you, that's a different reality where you're not seeing most of people's faces. That is a different reality. But this just shows how you adjust to it. And if people can adjust to not being allowed to go into parks at night, if people, if people can adjust to having to wear a seatbelt, they'll adjust to having to wear masks forever. If that's the way it works. Just a weird little thing. But that's something to keep in mind about restriction. Is that humans do adapt. We adapt to the fact that we have to do this. And that should give us pause. I mean it's a good thing and a bad thing. It's good in the sense that it means we will just adjust to new parameters. Like, it's good that humans can adapt to a new normal. 
but it's also bad because the new normal isn't necessarily a good thing. It's like a, hu a certain human being can adjust to living in a confined space. That's not necessarily a good thing. It's good for their mental health that they can adjust and not feel, you know, they'll, they'll forget there was anything else before that. But it's a bad thing in that things can be imposed on you and you just end up accepting it. And the park thing, like I think about parks sometimes. I mean, obviously I'm thinking about parks right now, but I think about parks sometimes because it's just, it's so funny to me that we have to designate something a park. And if we don't do that, somebody might build on it. Somebody might develop it. Somebody might do something to it. There might be even less nature. And most parks aren't very natural. Like this little park that I'm talking about, it's mostly a very well-maintained lawn with a concrete path and benches and a couple tables. There's a little perimeter of trees around it. There's water. It's not very natural. Like if that was allowed to grow naturally, there'd be a lot more trees, a lot more bushes. But our idea of nature, most of the nature that we come into contact with is this thing called a park that has store hours and restrictions. And years ago, I was, I went up to Seattle for a friend's birthday. We had a party on the beach at this very popular beach that's up there. It's public land. A lot of people hang out there. And we took Molly, the girl. We took we took a girl named Molly with us, <laughs> and it was a beautiful evening. You know, it was like we were just there were a lot of people, but you know, since Molly was with us, it didn't really bother me because like I'm the kind of person where like I like if I'm like hanging out with people, I like to have it to ourselves. Like I'm not the kind of person who likes to go to a beach where everybody's at. But Molly was with us, and so it was a little more, it was a little nicer. You know, we were in a different state of mind. And, uh, you know, we, we were there all night, so it was everybody. You know, it was like a, a spring night, and the beach was, it was like one of the first nice days of the year. And the beach was packed with people. And everybody was there drinking and just hanging out. And it got to be about like two or three in the morning and the cops came and they just drove through with a, a loudspeaker and like I think it was a recording telling people they had to leave. And that's funny, you know, it's just funny to me that it's like there was no no crimes are being committed. Nobody was doing anything wrong. There's no houses, nobody was being disrupted. I don't know what the hours of the beach are. I think it probably does close. I'm sure it has hours. But the cops came through and told us we had to leave. So it's like we're allowed to experience nature, but it's only supposed to be within this little set amount of time. And it's not even that natural. And yeah, there are places you can go. You can go camping. You can go out into the wilderness. 
But if you live near civilization, your experience with nature, like what you consider nature, is this heavily restricted little plot of land. Is that nature? It doesn't seem like it. But we've adjusted to that. We've accepted that. That's our reality. That our experience with nature, for most people living near civilization, our experience with nature involves a little sign that lists the things you can and can't do. Because it's not just that those signs list the hours. They list all the things you can or can't do. Many of them say no, no vaping, no smoking, no drinking, no dogs, or, or dogs must be leashed. And so there's a set of rules you have to follow just to be there. So it's like you really don't escape restriction. You know, the neighborhood that I live in, you know, living in my mom's old house, there's a covenant. There's a terms of service where you can't paint your house whatever color you want. If there's too much debris on your roof from storms, you very well might get a notice in the mail saying you'll be fined if you don't take it off your roof. And the whole idea is, you know, property values. The whole idea is that, you know, the way you take care of your own house impacts other people's experience. It impacts their property. So we're used to living with that in mind in many places. We're used to living with these sets of restrictions. But it's a good thing when people push back on that. I mean, I think that's something that gets missed in all this. Like, even if you believe, even if you're pro-lockdown, pro-mask, pro-mandate, you want a certain number of people to give pushback. Like, you want that. You don't necessarily want them to win. You don't want them to necessarily get their way completely, maybe. But, like, you want a certain number of people to do that. You know, it keeps people in check. It keeps the state in check, if nothing else. To have counter-argument. And, uh, you know, if coronavirus is what it is, I'm not opposed to the fact that some people want more restrictions. I might not agree, but I'm not opposed to the fact that some people feel that way and have a rationale for it and want to express that. Because it is that dance where it's like you want people with opposing viewpoints to really hammer this out, to flesh the whole thing out, to get that whole perspective on it. Because that actually helps you understand what the appropriate response is and should be. But we have this idea that those people shouldn't think that, they shouldn't say that. And they're going to cause harm and terror if they do. And you know, like, I mean, some places have curfews, and that's insane. As someone who likes to walk at night, some places have curfews. I don't know where those places are. I've never gotten in any trouble for being out walking at night. But we have this idea that that's not what a sane and normal person is supposed to do, too. 
And it always kind of blows my mind how few people you see after dark. People like to be home. You know, I have a buddy in Petaluma, Mike, and he's been sending me photos because he started going on long night walks. And I guess just, uh, he knows I get it. <laughs> he knows I get it. And so he'll just send me photos of the street. He'll just send me photos of random things. And I love it. You know, I'm like, yeah, I walk. Yeah. You know, I'm a fan of that. Um, but some of us just like to do that. Some of us like to go out and walk at night. So it's like when you hear about curfews, that's just completely insane to me. But there's people who support that idea. There's people who support the idea of curfews. There's people who support restrictions of pretty much any kind. Because it's one thing to adjust. It's one thing if restrictions are forced upon you and you adjust to it, and that becomes your new reality. But there's many people who just encourage it. They want it. To them, you know, restrictions are a good thing. And they will cheerlead and applaud it and assist with restriction. I don't understand that. I'm definitely more like my father and biological grandfather. And I think the same is true for my other grandfather, my dad's dad, given, I mean, my dad and my uncles, I think I'll share this outlook. So I think pretty much all the men that I'm blood related to have the same view of things, even the one that nobody's ever met, where it's like we oppose restriction. Even when I follow it, I do it not necessarily begrudgingly, but I do the minimum necessary. I don't encourage it. Is there some sort of, you know, there's some people who think, because I don't think anybody conditioned me to be that way. You know, I wasn't raised, my dad didn't live with me growing up. Nobody's ever met my mom's dad. So it's kind of funny to me that I do see eye to eye with them on some of these things, given that nobody conditioned me. And, you know, some people think that your political stance is to some degree genetic, not that you're born a Republican, not that you're born a Democrat or a Libertarian or anything. But, you know, you very well could have a disposition. And so I sometimes wonder about that. You know, I sometimes wonder if people's disposition lends itself to certain political outlooks. I think it should. It would make sense. And how would that inform our ability to coexist if we knew that some of this was just inside of people and innate. And it's difficult to separate the nature and nurture aspect. You know, because who's to say what... Who, who, you know, I don't know that the two can even be separated. Because if you've inherited a certain nature genetically from one of your parents or both of your parents... And they also condition that in turn. Well, 
you know, it's hard to really make a distinction. But I wonder how it would inform people if we learned that many of our outlooks, which, surprise, surprise, end up informing our politics, just come from who we are. We're willing to accept, accept that so many other things are genetic, but I think people would have a hard time with that one. And I have heard pushback on that idea. It's very hard to prove. Very hard to prove that some of these things are genetic. And I think a lot of people don't want to believe that because they want to believe they can convince them. They want to believe that everyone's choosing to view the world the way they do. But, uh, you know, I think there's something genetic to it. I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly what it is. But when I look at my male relatives, for example, and see what they believed, when I read my biological grandfather's writing about liberty, his opposition to restrictions, his, his opposition to seatbelt laws, and it resonates with me, I don't know. I feel like there's something to that. And I do think that some people are just naturally more at odds with a restriction than others. Some people will go to a park and never think about the fact that it's a little weird that it closes down. They'll never think about that. They'll never think about the fact that this little plot of manicured nature has the same hours that a store does. But my mind goes there. Because I'm aware of the absurdity of it. Even if there's an explanation, even if there's a reason, even, even if there's a good rationale for doing that, I can't help but see the absurdity in many of the restrictions we live under. And no matter how used to them, I, 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 no matter how used to them I am, I'm still aware of that absurdity. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.